Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And today we will be talking about the McShin Foundation. And today we have with us Jesse Wysocki, who is the Chief Operating Officer of the McShin Foundation, and they are located in Richmond, Virginia. So, Jesse, welcome. Thank you. It's it's great to be here. Oh, well, so, Jesse, if you can tell us about the McShin Foundation, uh, maybe a little bit about the background, how you guys got started, and what exactly is it that you guys do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, we... Uh, we started in uh, 2005, and John Schinolzer, who's our president and co-founder, and his wife uh, Carol McDade, uh, you know, they they pretty much started out with just just recovery houses, uh, and, and basically trying to help people, trying to get into recovery, or people in recovery have a safe place to live. And uh, you know, from there, it's grown. Uh, now we have what's called an RCO, uh, which is a recovery community organization. We actually rent the whole uh, west wing of a church right in Richmond. And, um, you know, in the church, we have groups. Groups are open to the public. We have 12-step meetings that meet here. And then also our participants who live in our housing come up here, whether it's to meet with their recovery coach or to come to a group or to a 12-step meeting. They have access to that seven days a week. And then we have a um, a 28 day program where someone that's um, you know battling battling substance use might need some help, and they'll come in and they'll come into our program for 28 days, and from there transition to one of our step up houses. Um, you know, so our, our main goal, you know, we're we're a resource center, um, and again, we it's grown over the years. I I I took this position two and a half years, almost three years now I've been in this position. And, you know, I've watched McShin over the years just from myself being in recovery. You know, I've, I've worked at a couple of different places, you know, in, in the recovery realm of things and in the healthcare side of things. And, and you know, um, just being in recovery, I've, I've been, you know, fortunate to, to watch McShin and, and watch how they've grown over the years. And then, you know, now I've, I've been able to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, we continue to grow. Um, but that's kind of the basis of, of of our program and how it started. Uh, Car- Carol McDade, she's a you know a lobbyist in D.C. Uh, she she lobbies for for people in recovery all the time. She's you know out there trying to get better laws to help us. And 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 John, you know, he, he, same thing. You know, he's he he's out there nationally trying to do the same thing. And then we have um, a CEO, um, Honesty Liller, and her and I kind of work hand in hand with the operations of of McShin. Oh, that's fantastic. And um, you guys do uh, a lot of fantastic work here. I would say Virginia, but I actually think it goes um, around the country. And um, Jesse, I, I'm going to tell the audience how I, I came across you guys uh, initially, if if you don't mind. Um, so many of you in the audience know that I'm, I'm a retired FBI agent. And one of my duties as an FBI agent was I was an instructor at the academy. And at the academy, we have two programs. Obviously, we have the the employees, the FBI agents and analysts, but then we also have a, a leadership program for police executives from around the world. It's not just the U.S., but around the world. 
And one of the courses that I taught in that program was uh, a course called Officer Involved Shootings, which dealt with helping officers in critical incidents, not just shootings, but uh, any critical incident they, they may be in. And it dealt with uh, programs, policies, procedures of what to do when officers were involved in these critical incidents. And one of the things that the officers kept talking about was, um, hey, you know, we do a pretty good job at helping people uh, with a critical incident. But what we don't do is help them long term when they develop you know, alcohol, prescription drug abuse problems, which is usually the result of an incident or the family's long term. OK, and we ended up developing a course. Um, called Leading At-Risk Employees, which is still taught down there to this day, even after I retired and left the academy. And that dealt with, you know, so what do you do with officers and their families after, long-term, you know, with the, those those problems? And uh, when I first developed the course, the first time I taught it, I, it was actually the very first time I taught it, I was taught to not talk about my own recovery. And that's what I believed at the time. And, and I was teaching the course. And the, after one of the first classes, uh, some of the officers came up to me and asked me if I was in recovery because it, it, it seemed that I was in recovery the way that I talked about it. And I, uh, I told them that I was. And they asked me why I was not telling the class about that. And again, it was because of my conditioning, what I've been told in 12-step meetings. So... Um, what happened was I talked to everybody in my circle, everybody that uh, in my world was telling me not to, uh, you know, not to talk about my recovery. And uh, so I had these officers come up to me and ask me about it. And I asked everybody in my, my program um, about whether or not I should disclose my identity. And uh, they had said no. And that, and again, I was trying to honor what are known as the spiritual principles of the program. And I went home and I talked to my wife about it. And she said that, uh, look, I don't have an answer for you. You know, that was her belief as well. And as I was going to bed that night, Jesse, what happened was I was flipping through the channels on the television and I came across a documentary called Anonymous People. And I've talked about that uh, many times on, on this podcast before this program, Anonymous People. And it changed my whole world outlook. And uh, in the documentary, if you've not seen it, it talks about how people that are in recovery should be proud of being in recovery and that we need people, um, you know, people on the front lines, an army, if you will, of people going out and talking about the recovery and promoting recovery. That way people know where to go. And one of the, the people that were uh, covered in this documentary was John Schinholzer and his wife and um, Carol McDade, and they were featured in the documentary, and they talked about the McShin Foundation and the work that they are doing in Virginia, uh, the jail prison system, and advocating for uh, people in recovery. And it really touched my heart, and I went, actually went down uh, about three or four years ago, met John uh, at one of your fundraising events, and got to know those folks there as well. So you guys were featured in Anonymous People, and they talked about the work that you were doing. And so um, kind of ironic how those fates came together. Yeah. You know, I, listening, listening to that, that story, what's, what's funny for me, or kind of ironic for me, is when I took this position here at McShin, that was one of the things that I uh, uh, initially struggled with was was that piece of um you know because i'm 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 root i'm grounded in in 12 step 
you know, and, and I was taught the same things you were taught. So it wasn't something that we were out in the public, you know, like letting people know. And and when I came to Michigan, it was totally different. Like we, you know, it was, it was basically almost a requirement, you know, to um, let people know you're in recovery. And we had, a, you know, me personally, I had to change some of the language that I use, uh, you know, and, and, and as, and I, I had watched the movie, the anonymous people, you know, when it first came out, there was this big screening we did here in the Richmond area and I watched it. But again, I just was so rooted in, in what was taught to me in, in the 12 step fellowship, and, you know, uh, and, and I confused that with uh, my recovery, you know, my personal recovery. So I could definitely relate to that because that was like a, a, a learning curve for me in this position. Uh, you know, now I'm, I'm all for people letting, you know, there's no, that's the stigma that comes with, this illness, you know, uh, it's stigmatized. So people think you're not allowed to talk about it. You know, don't say you have it. Don't say you suffer from addiction. Um, so, you know, I definitely can relate to that. It's funny. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear with people that when you're talking about 12 step programs in particular, and this is true of all recovery programs, that your anonymity is up to you. And that's what I really took away from the video is nobody Nobody's telling you that you have to go out and tell everybody that in your recovery. You know, recovery meetings are designed to be a safe place. It's for you to come to to get well. And what I learned in that movie, and actually the movie really talked about that, the documentary talked about it, is that I am free to talk about my recovery all day long. I, I'm free to do that. Now, what I'm not free to do is talk about you and your recovery. That's a yeah. decision for you to make. But, yeah, you know, exactly. for me to do it now, if you're comfortable in doing it, um, the problem is, is that uh, people have been conditioned in 12-step programs to never talk about it under any circumstances. And when I went back and I looked at the history of AA and Bill Wilson in the early days, I found that that's actually not true. That was never in the intent. You know, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith always wanted AA, for example, to be uh, a safe place for people. And that meant that we would never disclose somebody that came because, you know, we always want to, uh, this to be a safe place for the newcomer. We want people to be safe. And I found in the early days of my recovery, Jesse, that, uh, for example, I was looking for a law enforcement specific meetings. And, and if, if the listeners today aren't familiar with the programs that are out there, there are different meetings for different people, men, women, uh, only meetings, uh, professional meetings, gay meetings, uh, you know, uh, young people's meetings, on and on. And there's, all, there's a meeting for almost every group you can imagine. And so I was early on looking for law enforcement meetings. And those meetings, Jesse, were so secretive that it took me over a year to find one. And when I finally did, I, I even told the guys, I said, you guys are so secretive that I couldn't find you. And I thought to myself, well, what's the point? If I can't find you, if I can't find where to get well, what what's the point in that? And so it just seemed excessive to me, and and uh, and that's why this the that video really changed kind of my outlook on that whole thing, and I'm a yeah. bit more open now. H yeah, have you ever yeah. run into that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and you know, again, it's it's it seems like, and and I I I, I get it to an extent, but like. It's just so so much stigma with that. Like, why why does it have to be a secret? Like, why do we have to be ashamed that we're in recovery? You know, and that's what I've learned over the years is I don't have to be ashamed anymore. You know, um, yes, yeah, so I suffer from an illness, but there's something I can do about it, and I continue to do about it. Something also that I've that I've learned over time is I, I 
you know, I don't represent the 12 step fellowship that I attend. No, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a representative of that. You know, I'm, I'm a representative of my recovery and that, that gives me, you know, that fortitudes me the chance to speak about it and to be open. And that I think it's so important because like what you're talking about, the more people do that, the more there's an outlet for people coming behind us, the more that they know, actually, there is a way, you know, there is some hope, you know, there is help, whether it's somebody that's a nurse that suffers from substance use or a law enforcement officer um, or just, you know, somebody with a, a, a regular job working at a, a fast food place or something, you know, um, they're able to find hope and, and reach out. Um, but when we, like like you said, and when we keep it closed and hidden and nobody knows about it, then it's hard for people to find that help. But I just think that just plays so much into the stigma of, of the uh, illness that um, that we suffer from. Yeah, and that's something that we are really working to combat because, you know, if you had cancer, you wouldn't go into hiding. If you had yeah, exactly, diabetes, yeah. you wouldn't go into hiding. If you have an allergy, you don't go into hiding. I mean, it's only with addiction that people go into hiding. And, I, and I'll tell you something, Jesse. I am um, The more and more I learn about addiction, and I am back in school getting a, f- a formal education through uh, Hazel and Betty Ford, right now and the more and more i get into the science of this it truly is a disease it's a disease of the body and the mind and it is something that that uh, people are genetically predisposed towards and um you know when once this addiction kicks off it's something that you have no control over and much of it has to do with your physiology now you wouldn't be embarrassed by any other physical issue that you had physiological issue that you had it's only with addiction that we seem to have this stigma and it's something that you should not be ashamed of and and if you're listening to us right now if you're listening to jesse and i and you you need to be in recovery that's something that's important to understand it is nothing to be ashamed of i've done a lot of things in my life and jesse i know you've done a lot of things in your life but i will tell you the one single thing that i am most proud of and was the the most difficult thing i ever did in my life was get into recovery so it's something to be proud of it's nothing to be ashamed of do you agree with that yeah yeah definitely i i, I agree 100 percent with it uh you know i i teach here at mcshin i teach a couple different uh trainings that we do we have a, a mcshin leadership and recovery coach training and then we also do the state uh peer recovery specialist training and i'm, I'm a trainer for both of them and something that I talk about in both of those classes, um, where those train the, the trainings, both of those trainings is is the history, you know, the history of addiction and how how long it's been stigmatized. Uh, you know, there's a, a doctor, I think Dr. Benjamin Rush, and I think it's over 50 years ago, 50 plus years where he went out, you know, and he made it a public thing, you know, with his colleagues that look, this is an illness. This is a disease. It's a legitimate illness, and then the DSM five came out and deemed it an illness. And we still, to this day, have people that don't agree with it, people that think it needs to be hidden, you know, people that don't want to help with it, thinking that it's a choice, um, you know. And it's it's just crazy. Um, Fifty plus years ago, that that there was doctors talking about this, and, and society still struggles with it. And all that does is play into the. So, you know, and, and I teach this in the trainings that we do here at, at the McShin Foundation, uh, you know, the history of, of substance use and the history of addiction. And it's 50 plus years uh, doctors were deeming this an illness, deeming this uh, a legit disease and still society struggles with it. 
And like we were talking about earlier, that just plays into the fact it makes it harder for people that are new seeking help. You know, it makes them shame. You know, they're they're ashamed. They don't want to ask for help because they think that there's morally something wrong with them. Um, and when the truth is, and this is this is an illness, uh, you know, it's an allergy. It, 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 it's, you know, when we put a substance in us, um, we have allergic reaction. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. And the now the difference between this illness and other illness is or other illnesses, rather, is that this one actually has something that you can do about it. And that is by not using, meaning complete abstinence, then this you can put this disease into remission. And we know with 100% certainty, if you do not pick up a drink or a drug, that you will not start that progression of or the obsession to continue to drink or drug. Because if, if you're in the audience and you've not heard this phrase before, it's not the hundredth drink that kills you. It's the first one that kills you because then you start that obsession all over again. And uh, what we have to learn to do is to not pick up the first time. So um, that, and I'm sure that's what you guys teach down there. It makes in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, you're, you're right, man. Once, 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 once you pick up, once you put one in, in you and usually all bets are off, um, you know, and we, we, we teach that when we try to stay, well, not try, we're, we're open to, to every pathway. So I don't want to, mm-hmm. no, definitely, you know, don't pick up, but there is, there is pathway, you know, there's, there's MAT, uh, MAT is a pathway. So, you know, people, people have used that, but I think that the best way to make, make other programs like that work is to combine it, you know, with people in recovery. Like they got to be surrounded by people in recovery. And that's the approach yeah. that McShin puts out. And that's the approach that we take is look, stay in the herd, stay involved, stay around people that are in recovery. You know, if, if you're, if you're on maintenance, you know, whether that's Suboxone, Methadone, um, Vivitrol shot, whatever it is, if you're on that, that stuff, or if you're taking psych meds for your, for your mental health disorder, you know, whatever it may be, you need to still stay involved with people in recovery, you know, stay in the mix when you get out of the mix, you know, that's when you, you, you become, um, you know, I don't want to say weak, but you just become susceptible to picking back up. And, and that, and again, that plays into the part why it's so important, you know, for us to, um, you know, individually, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in recovery and, and, and I, and I can help people, you know, when we, when we, when we hide that, um, you know, it makes it harder for other people to get help. Yeah, and then it becomes a bit selfish in a lot of ways if you're only working on your own recovery and you're not helping other people. And then we know also that by helping other people, we do help ourselves, whether they ever get well or not. I mean, that's that's something that, that we know. And there's a lot of uh, evidence. There's a lot of empirical and evidence and studies that have shown, demonstrated exactly what you said works, and that is that you must surround yourself with people that are like-minded, and are in the same situation that you're in and you can relate to. Um, there's a lot of evidence that, that suggests that, and you're, you're absolutely correct. And, and as you mentioned also, if you're on one of those maintenance drugs or those drugs that are helping you either psychologically or, um, you know, it's something that, that is helping you wean off of a drug. For example, you, you mentioned methadone, which you'd be taking if you're coming off of heroin. Um, that, that it's important that you be in recovery circles because 
that's as you're transitioning and, and hopefully you can get to the point where you're not using at all, but it will help you if you're surrounded with people who are in recovery and will get you in that mindset, you know? Um, so I'm sure you run into that down there as well. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We, uh, cause we're, you know, here, here at the machine foundation, our, our recovery center, our recovery houses and, and our program, uh, you know, we're, we're open to any, so, you know, here, here, here at McShane, we're, we're open to any pathway and, you know, it's something that, you know, we, we, we try to stay open, uh, you know, and, and not, not exclude anyone. Um, but, you know, in the process of doing that, we, you know, people, people struggle with that, you know, if they come in and they're on a, a maintenance drug, they feel like they might be shunned or looked at differently. Or if people come in here and they don't, they don't quite uh, click in a twelve-step fellowship, they think they might be looked at differently. You know, um, so you know, I think that's one of the best things that this center here, the Mission Foundation, you know, our center has to offer is it's just, you know, it's just open to anybody seeking recovery. You know, you you don't got to bring a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't have to have a basic text. You know, granted, we got all that literature and we'll give it to you. Um, you know, you don't have to have a Bible. You don't have to have any of these things. You know, it's just come here, be around people that are just not trying to use drugs and alcohol anymore. So what, now are you're located in Richmond. Do you have locations other than Richmond? So our center is it's it's actually in Lakeside, which is a, just a, a, a surrounding county of Richmond. It's 2300 Dunbar Road. Um, and then our houses, we have a bunch of recovery houses. They're located in, let me cut my other phone off. Sorry. They're located in the surrounding counties, 11 different houses, um, in Richmond and Henrico. But as far as our center, we only have one center, but we do have, uh, two jail programs. So we're in and out of jails which is something that's pretty cool. We have a, a jail program here locally. It's just kind of getting started back up because, you know, due to COVID-19, a lot of restrictions have been going on in the jail. Sure, so, yeah. yeah, so that kind of messed with our programs there. But we, uh, you know, we were very fortunate to, we got a, we got a, a federally funded grant through SAMHSA and it uh, allowed us to operate in two jails and provide programs for returning citizens from the jails. So we have one that's um, in the mountains here in Virginia, and then we have one that's locally here. Um, and so if they go through our program in the jail, then they they can petition or, um, you know, apply for a scholarship. And if they get approved, then they get uh, awarded a, a scholarship in our 28-day program, which it's an intensive program, which can you know, it can cost anywhere up, up, upward to, to $9,800 for the intensive program and they'll get a full free scholarship into the program. So it's pretty cool. So we, we have that there, but our, you know, our one center is here in Richmond in Henrico. Okay. And usually how many people can you house at one time? So full capacity, all, if all our houses are full, it'll be 124. And right now we our women's house, all our all our women's houses, our women's program and our women's houses are full. Our men's houses, we have a few open beds. I think we have like a right now uh, total number is 111, I think. And OK, and that's even with COVID-19, you're you're near full capacity. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, COVID COVID nineteen didn't really. I mean, it it made it harder on us as a as an organization to operate, you know, financially mm-hmm. and um, you know, time wise, and just the things that we had to do to to protect the participants and our staff. It, ma- it made it a lot harder in that means. But the illness like spark like it it shot up. You know, we had way more people getting released from jail, looking for help, getting released from prison. People off the streets needing help uh, and overdoses spiked. I think it's been a 40 percent increase. Um, I know here in Virginia, it's, it's going to they're, they're probably going to it's probably going to be a record this year for uh, the, the amount of overdoses that have happened. Wow. And and do you let me ask you, do, do you think that that's due to the program with COVID-19 obviously has shut just about everything down to include recovery meetings and, and people's ability to seek help and, and plus isolation. How do you think that that contributed to uh, these, these overdoses and issues that you're having? Oh, it, it definitely played a part. It, you know, it's, it, we talk about it here at McShane all the time, you know, connectivity, being connected, you know, being in the herd, being amongst people in recovery. And if you're not able to do that, uh, you know, it, it can, it can definitely the illness, you know, cause this, this illness, man, it's, 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 it's a, you know, I, the, the, it's a beast, I guess the, the best word to describe it. It's, you know, it, it attacks you physically, it attacks you spiritually, it attacks you mentally, you know, so mentally, you know, if you're not surrounded around people in recovery and you're not able to get that connection by whether it's going to church, cause some people get it going to church. Some people get it going to 12 step meetings, you know, some people get it coming right up here to the center, um, you know, and if you're not able to get that connection, you know, and be around other people, uh, you know, that leaves you up to your own demise. You know, you get in your head and next thing you know, you're out, you're out picking up, you know, picking a substance up. And and then, you know, unfortunately, death is, is what happens a lot of times when when we, we relapse and we pick back up. So it's it's definitely played a role in it. And it's made it harder for for all kinds of organizations to operate. You know, we have a lot of, you know, Richmond, the Richmond area and surrounding counties here in Richmond, very fortunate. You know, we have a lot of organizations around here and it's affected a lot of the organizations. It's, um, you know, whether whether participants have um, contracted COVID-19 and they've had to shut the organization down or or limited their intakes, Um, you know, our staff had to get laid off, uh, you know, the, the financial uh, cost of, of buying PPE and getting the equipment needed to keep things running. Um, you know, so all that plays a part in it. And then, and then we, we, we get caught up in all that and, and we quickly, you know, quickly lose, lose the time and the management that's needed to, to help the actual individual that's suffering from substance use, you know, cause they're seeking help. They, they have not, you know, the, the doors have not stopped being knocked on here at McShane. Like people are, are constantly, constantly seeking help. And a lot of times, you know, financially, they're just, they're, they have no means. And it's, it, it can be due to COVID, you know, loss of job or whatever it may be. So it makes it even harder. Yeah. And, and let me be clear about that. You said that in the state of Virginia, where we are, Commonwealth Virginia, you're looking at a 40% increase in overdoses? Yeah, I think that was the last number that um, I was given on. The, I was on this conference call, um, and I think they were saying it's it's upward. It's going to be upward to like a 40% increase. Um, we, do, we do what's called a, a revived training here, 
And the revived, the revived training basically is naloxone training, and that's how to administer naloxone in case of an overdose. And so I'm, I'm a trainer for that, and, and we'll do it here once a month. You know, it's open to the public and to our participants and our staff. And I, I get on these uh, these conference calls in regards to it. And that was the last, I think it was the last information I heard. Wow. You know, and that's something that uh, is not talked about in the public is, you know, we, we, we talk about the issues that COVID-19 and all these shutdowns has caused, but I've, I've not heard in the open media a statistic like you just threw out. That's pretty shocking to me. And, but it just shows you the seriousness of this and the seriousness of how important it is to get help to get out and and work with people in organizations like the McShin Foundation, uh, it just really it it shows the importance of the work and the and and um, you know how what a vital asset you are to the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it's it, incredible. It is. It's 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 incredible. It's 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 so unfortunate too. Uh, you know the 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 amount of. Um, deaths that we've seen we just opened we had a grand opening this year of a memorial garden and that was to recognize not just overdoses but anybody who's passed away as a direct result of substance use disorder because um, you know a lot of times people just think it's just overdoses but you know many things happen um, that cause cause death behind substance use and we opened yeah. this memorial garden and i mean it's beautiful a beautiful memorial garden. It was it was a great grand opening, but it's like it's almost it's almost like a um, you know it's it's a it's a sad it's a sad moment with a good moment of open. You know, it was a good grand opening, but it was so sad that it's a grand opening to recognize you know deaths from this from this illness. And you know, as beautiful as the memorial garden looked. Like the bricks that we put in there, there's names on each brick of somebody that's passed away from a direct result of substance use. Oh, that's I didn't know that you guys were doing that. And that's a, a tremendous thing to do. It really is. And I wonder if more cities and more jurisdictions put up a memorial like that, it would really highlight what a deadly disease this is. You know, because I had no idea yeah. that you guys were were doing that. Um, so what other things are, are you looking at? And I know that COVID has really affected a lot of planning for a lot of different organizations, but um, kind of looking to the future, what what kinds of things do you all have in, in, in the works? So we just, we, we had that, that, that um, the ribbon cutting for the Memorial Garden and that's, that's up and running. Um, you know, people can, can come in anytime, take a look at it and they can also purchase a brick if they wanted to, you know, they had somebody close and they lost, they can, they can do that as well. Um, and we just, uh, we see, we, uh, we've always traditionally had our men and women combined and they're still combined. It's, we're still co-ed, but we have two, uh, programs, two 28 day programs. They're, they're both the same, but the men have their program and the women have their program. And, um, what we recently did is we moved the women to one of our houses, which is located in uh, probably about, I guess you say 20, 25 minutes from our center, uh, from our main center. And it's in Chesterfield County now. And so they're there and they have actually their own little meeting room. It's almost like a little mini 
RCO. So it's pretty cool. And that's one of been our one of been been one of our main focuses this year is getting their center and that's the offices and the meeting room up and running. And we just were in the pro they got a little mini gym in there, which is cool. Um, we're in the process of finishing that up. Once the gym's finished, everything will be will be up and running there. Um, so that's been one of the main focuses. And it's been pretty cool to see that unwind and how much the um, it's been appreciated um, by the women in our program. You know, now they have their, their separate program there and they're able they do their groups together. We have uh, facilitators come and do the groups there. And then they have it's actually located on a on a lot of land. We used to have horses out there. Uh, we're getting ready to put some some chickens and some different animals there. And that'll kind of incorporate into their program. So part of the 28 days is, you know, they'll tend to the chickens. They'll have their groups in the meeting room. They'll have their gym there. Um, so that, that, that's that been pretty, that's been a pretty good move this year. And then we, we do a lot of trainings. And, um, you know, it's fortunate, you know, I, I, I love it. I love the fact that we're out training. Sometimes it gets a little hectic for me personally. I, I'm a little, yeah. I, I, this, this is like a little selfish thing for me. Like I'm, I'm usually the one that's doing all the trainings. So, um, when I do them, it takes away from my regular duties of, you know, handling the operations. So a lot of times I, I, I come back after a, uh, uh, eight day training and like, I got like 150 emails to answer and, a bunch of different corrective actions or things going on. And, and so it, it can put me behind a little bit, but I love it. And, and, and something that we're doing now is we've uh, just recently partnered with um, the Department of Corrections. And I think they, they got a, a grant, I'm not sure, but they're paying for their staff, which is pretty cool. Uh, they, they got their staff, which is like the, the, um, the COs that work in the prisons and the, um, the, cognitive behavior counselors, they're going to come do the peer recovery specialist training that I conduct here at McShin. And so, you know, that's something we're doing. And I think the plan is to continue that through next year as well. Um, so, you know, those, those are some things we got on, on the horizon. You know, and that's fantastic. Cause I will tell you that in my entire law enforcement career, um, I was a corrections officer, then I was a police officer and then I was an FBI agent. And never once in all of that time did I receive any of the training that you're talking about. So I think it's fantastic that those officers are are receiving that because it, it's really, I mean, there's a lot of things that I know about addiction now that I sure wish I had known when I was in that that profession. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, I, I agree, man. I think it's really cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm a product of the Department of Corrections, so not on the not on the side you were on. I, um, you know, my, 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 my disease brought me, you know, in front of a judge and the judge ended up giving me a few years in, in prison and, you know, and, and, and I, and I went and did my time and I came home and I, I would do typically what a lot of us do when we get caught up in the system. And, and especially if we, if we suffer from, you know, addiction is I kept violating probation with, with a dirty urine or, you know, with, um, you know, not, following my probation officer's rules or whatever it may be. And this was years ago. You know, I have, um, you know, I'm coming up on nine years in recovery now. Um, awesome. But like it was, a, it was a revolving door for me. So, you know, I did some time in prison. I came home, violated, did some more time in prison. And, you know, I kept doing it. Uh, you know, so like I, I, I have a, you know, I, I know what it's like in there. So it's, it gives a, a higher meaning I don't know. It just, it makes, you know, it, it, to me, to see the department of corrections moving this way, 
you know, and doing the things they're doing as far, like you said, you know, when you were, when you were an officer, when you were a correctional officer and, 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 uh, and at the FBI and, and a police officer, like these trainings weren't offered, you know, it was probably unheard of, um, you know, so it's pretty cool to see the, the, the state here, um, you know, do that, say, let, let's get our, let's get our COs trained on this, you know, let's get them trained as a peer recovery specialist, a recovery coach, and, you know, hopefully they'll continue to do it. And, you know, they'll continue to allow the inmates, you know, uh, uh, well, I think it's called, uh, called, called offenders now, but allow the offenders to take the training as well. Cause you know, it's definitely beneficial to learn about this stuff. And, you know, what, what better way to try to combat this illness than, than learn these trainings. You know, and I'll, Jesse, I'm going to go a step further and say, you know, we can't forget that the training is important for the officers themselves, not not just the uh, the offenders, but the the officers. You know, law enforcement is a very toxic job. Yeah, uh, being and I, and I'll tell you of you know I I'm one of the few people that has worked in law enforcement pretty much at every level from corrections all the way up to the federal level, and I will hands down tell you that the most difficult law enforcement job I ever had was being a corrections officer. That by far was the the toughest. I mean, they're all tough in their own way, but in different ways. But the one that was the most toxic on me personally was being a corrections officer. And my hat's off to you. If you're a, if you're a corrections officer out there and you're you're listening to this right now, I'm telling you, my hat is off to you. That is a tough, tough job. And we can't forget that the people in the law enforcement business need to hear this message just as much as everybody else. That's a hard profession. The suicide rate, the addiction rate in law enforcement is very high as well. So the yeah. message that you're putting out, it's not just for the the, uh, the offenders, but for the people that work there, the staff that are in these facilities as well. So it's yeah. an important message. Yeah, definitely. And and, and it's, it's it, I could... When I, when I think about police officers and, and, and law enforcement and correctional officers, it, it's almost like to me, it's, it's even harder for them to kind of come out about what's going on. You know, yeah. um, they, they don't want people to know, um, you know, that they have this type of illness. Um, so it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a hurdle for them to even come out and, and, and be open about it. Um, so that's what makes it so much more valuable for this trainings to happen. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe just a little plug there uh, for the future is to what McShin will do. Maybe that's a service that you guys can provide. Yeah, I'm here, look at this. We're giving you guys ideas right here on the air. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's. I mean, but it, but it is important. And that was, you know, I, I I mentioned to you teaching at the the FBI National Academy, and and again the audience that I was talking to were chiefs, sheriffs, or command staff level officers. And, and I used to actually, all joking aside, I, I used to hear from these guys all the time. They said, you know, Mike, it's great that you're telling us that, you know, the executives this, but our officers, when they are in training in the beginning of their career, they don't need to hear this at the end. Most of the, the, the students I had were at the end of their career. And they would tell me, Mike, people need to hear this at the beginning of the career so that yeah. they can look for, you know, the warning signs. Because, uh, you know, Jesse, that's what happened to me. You know, the just the job over the years and then put on my military time on top of that, it just takes its toll on you. And you mentioned spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of the above. It just takes its toll on you. And nowhere, nowhere in my career did anybody sit down and talk to me about 
my wellness. You know, it's funny, and I used to talk about this, that we spend a lot of time in law enforcement and the military talking about uh, arrests, uh, arrest warrants, shooting, defensive tactics, writing reports, you know, all, all the different things that you need to do in a law enforcement career. But you know the one piece of training that we did not receive was, Jen- Jesse? You know the one thing I did not receive? The, no, it, it, on probably training on on addiction, training on substance use. That's and for and how to protect yourself. Now we will always mm. talk about the offenders. We're all everything is geared towards the job, but nobody ever sat down and said, "Hey, but here's what you need to do to take care of you." That never yeah, happened. Yeah, self 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 care. Yeah, that's right. Self 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 care, and it's so you know it's so important. We we we'll do that. We you know we we train. We have monthly trainings with the staff here and, and in the recovery coach training and in the peer recovery specialist training. It's a very big part of it where it's, you know, look, you're going to be you're going to be giving. And I tell this in, in my training all the time. You know, I, I talk to because when you decide to get in this field and, and even as a, as a law in the, in the, the law enforcement field, you, you you're you're in a field of giving like you're giving your time. You know, you're supposed to, you know, yes, protect and serve, um, you know, and, 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 and you got to worry about the community and, and, and that kind of thing and the individuals in the community. And, it, you know, here as, as, as in, in this recovery realm of things, you know, you want to protect, you want to make sure the participant is OK. You want to make sure they're getting help. Um, and, and while you're doing that, you're giving so much of you, you forget about where you can receive something for you. You know, because we us all day long. That's what you do all day long is give your time. Your time is being given to someone else. And then how do I take care of me? And that's a big piece in these trainings. You know, we talk about self-care is so important. If you don't take care of yourself, it ends up affecting you on the job. You know, it'll affect you. It And it probably shows in, in law enforcement. It affects the officers if they don't take care of themselves and it, oh, yeah. it de- definitely here at Michigan we you know we 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 hound our staff you know look self-care take some days work on you you know and here's here's some trainings on how to do it because we know if, if you're not if you're not taking care of you and and, and and the illness that you suffer from you're going to be no good to somebody else and you may find that that illness rears its ugly head again i mean that's, yeah, that's yeah. you don't take care of yourself i mean particularly if you're in recovery then you're setting yourself up for a relapse yourself. And you got to be careful with that. So yeah, that's, definitely. I mean, that's, that's important. It's, you're protecting the people around you. And, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, we see, you know, happen, whether it's anger, whether it's uh, misuse of force, in, and I'm talking about law enforcement here, and, and those issues, you know, if you went and you did sort of a, like a meta study of some of the issues that go on in law enforcement, you know, some of the things that we're seeing in the press today, uh, I wonder just how much of that could be mitigated if people were heavily involved in self-care programs. You know, those are things to to look at. And we need to do more of this. And there aren't enough people out there doing this type of work. But that's one of the things I've always liked about the McShin Foundation is that you guys are out in front. You are going into the jails. You are going into the prisons. You are going out and, and talking uh, to these folks. And um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's something I love about what we do. That's for sure, because it it I, I sat in those seats at one time. So being being able to go in there and and and, and teach and try to help, whether it's a correctional officer or or a offender, um, you know I love it. 
Well, absolutely. So uh, how can people get hold of the McShin Foundation if they have any questions, uh, want to contribute or help you or are just interested in your program? How uh, Give us some of the ways that they can get hold of you. There's, there's, there's a few different ways. We, de- we have our website, uh, McShin.org. Uh, you can definitely go through our website if you're interested in, in donating or volunteering. And then you also can just call in. Uh, you know, I, I pride, one thing I I hound um, our team about is we're we're a resource center, you know. So we want to answer the phones seven days a week, and typically, I don't want to, you know. Typically, the phone don't stop ringing. You know, we we have a, our phones forwarded to a cell phone at night. Somebody's answering it with questions, uh, you know. So we're a resource center, so you can always call in. And then the number is 804-249-1845. And you always can call in, ask questions, get help. Um, and then, you know, our website is is definitely um, a, an area where if you need, if you want to just do some research, um, see what we're about, see what we have. Or if you're looking to, again, donate time or, or, or money, you can do it through the website as well. But I encourage, the one thing I, I encourage is if, if you don't know about McShin or if you do know about McShin, and you might have heard something and you want to check it out because um, there's always people always hear different things. It might be true. It might not be true. Just come up here. Just just see us in action. You know, come up to the center. You don't got to plan your tour. You just walk in and you can ask for me, Jesse Wasaki, uh, and I'll show you around and, and show you what we do. Oh, that, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I do encourage the listeners to to reach out and, and explore what the program is all about and uh, give them a call, look at the website and contribute if you can. If that's something that you can do, uh, support them in any way uh, that, that, that you felt led to do. And so, Jesse, with that, I, I really appreciate your time today. Appreciate you talking to us. And um, can you give your phone number one more time? Yeah, yeah, um, and, and and thank you for having me. I, I'm I'm honored to be on on here. Um, hopefully, hopefully you'll get me famous. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the number to call in it's eight zero four two four nine one eight four five. That's our office line. Uh, call into that number, and um, somebody will help you. And you can definitely ask for me if if you have any issues when you call in. Absolutely. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you do need help, if you're someone that that needs, uh, you know, you're just struggling with addiction right now, whether it's drugs or alcohol or any other addiction that we haven't even talked about, gambling, gaming, sex issues, all those types of things, please get help. There is help out there. Please reach out, uh, make that, take that first step, get the help that you can uh, reach out to McShin or to any other organization. You know, we, we do have people uh, in Europe that are listening, people from around the world, actually, that are listening to this and wherever you are, there's somebody in your community that can help you out. You just have to take that step to reach out to them. And so um, as always, I'd like to say, I don't represent and Jason doesn't represent any group. He mentioned that uh, before, you know, we're open to all ways of getting well. Um, um, I don't represent anyone other than myself. My only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me and maybe it will help you too. So if I've said something that does not apply to you or if you don't agree with it, just discard that. But try to use something that you've heard today if it's helpful. Take that with you and use that if you can. Uh, That's what we do in recovery. We help others by helping, you know, help you uh, by 
and, and we help ourselves by helping you along the way. And with that, just please visit <coughs> our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and the website, my website page, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Comments, any topic that you'd like to hear about. It just love to have your feedback. So thanks again for joining us today. And Jason, uh, Jesse, thank you. And we will talk with you guys soon.